We are recording. Here we go. Okay, we're started now. We have started. So, we're, nobody can hear us. Nobody can. It's just a rumble of car. It's no, it's, the signal to noise ratio isn't the worst. <laughs> well, it is. It probably, it's close to the worst. It's the worst. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Anyways, I'm Gordon McLattery. I'm Matthew Martinson. This is Beards, Cats, and Indie Game Audio in the car. Round two. Round two. This is our like annual car podcast recording. Yes, and we're gonna try to we're gonna do a better job of making it listenable. We've got we've all got RX. We've got new mics. Got a new car. We've got a new car. Matt's old one got stolen. So we've we've upgraded newer car. Yeah. Uh, new recording interface. Yeah. New everything. So we're barely indie. Barely. I. T- I'm not, I don't think I'm indie in this car. <laughs> so that's the thing. So yeah, we're on our way to the DigiPen Audio Symposium again in Seattle. Yep. Uh, which we've this will be our third year going. Pretty um, much the reason why we have a podcast. Yeah, it totally is. It was you know? it was born in the car. Hence the car recordings. So we always enjoy them. There's always a couple of good things. Maybe some not so good things, but we won't talk about those. Well, I always think that even the even the, the not so good things, I get a lot of fuel out of. There's interesting stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I've always found everything that they do is interesting. Like it's worth well, hearing. And I'm interested in my own like personal reaction to it as well. Like yeah. the first year we were there, I was so heavily invested in like go 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 freelance freelance business business business. That all the academic stuff, I was like, this is a waste of time. <laughs> um, but yeah. now that I have been working enough and I've regained some appreciation for academia yeah. and where you are just like in the pursuit of knowledge, yeah. now it's it's cool again. Uh-huh. Um, it still pesters me when things are just way, way behind. Right. When No matter who you are, if you're industry or academic... Or whatever. If you're just completely out of the loop, yeah. but then are being platformed as an expert, that that always kind of bugs me a bit. Yeah. But that that doesn't happen much. No. So we're on the road. Yeah, I don't I don't even remember what is gonna be talked about today. So we'll talk about that in the second half because. Yeah, I didn't even I look at the speakers. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, just sign up and go because I always enjoy it. So. Mm-hmm. I trust them to have picked some good speakers. Yeah. So, what's been going on? You've been recording a bunch of stuff. Lately. I've been record. I've been doing a lot of recording for games. Uh, I did a, a great vegetable recording. Yeah. Recently. It's always well. Fun. Something that I've been learning more and more that I wanted to try out with mm-hmm. uh, stuff at home was that for big sounds, go light. Oh yeah. Which is, I think, fairly common knowledge. Uh huh. Um, just like go huge with the gain. Yeah, and then do things very lightly, and it it was super effective. Where at one point, well, it got obviously super gross. <laughs> As any good recording. Uh, should. At one point, I had a handful of like orange mush. Yep. Because I had already peeled the orange and and mushed it up, and so I just had this gross handful of goo, and was just very lightly tapping it with my fist. Yep. And just getting the biggest sounding impacts out of it. Yeah. And maybe I'll post a few. And so I was like, okay, this is this is a new thing I'm going to be doing. Right. Which is just like very high gain stuff. Which, I mean, it brings up all your ambient noise and everything too. Yeah. But and that's where you want to have good mics and good pre's Good as mics, well. good room, good pre's. Which I don't necessarily have. Yeah. But I do have pretty good RX skills now <laughs> because I don't have... Uh, good mics, good amp, good pre Yeah, yeah we did some... Um, good sounds. We did some recording at Clay yeah. the other day when you were in the office um, with some pudding and jello, which was fun. Pudding and jello together, surprisingly, yep. better than pudding alone or jello alone. Who yeah. knew? Yeah, it, it, it changed the uh, temperament, the viscosity of it all in a good way. Yeah, you would have a better idea than... I yeah, I was the performer on that I one. I was you, just hitting you record. Was, they were recording. Yet again, you were kind of what you're saying. It wasn't big, like, slappy. Like, I didn't, like... Because I was also, I'm like, I can't have jello on the walls. No. So, 
you know, I was just doing squishy stuff. Well, and the technical reason behind that being, so, and something I've learned before is, when I was in school, and first learning, and the rule that you get is, like, never clip. Yeah. But if you're popping a balloon... That's clipping. It's going to clip no matter what. Yep. If you turn if you turn your preamps down so far that it's not clipping, all you're going to get is, like, a little... Yeah. Like a tick. It's not going to sound like it feels. Yeah. So you kind of have to just not worry, depending on what you want out of the sound. Yeah. Is you don't worry about the, the clipping so much. I because think you... Because uh, you want the body out of a balloon pop. Yeah. Right. It, if you lose the transient, it's okay. You, you can cut out the clipped can, transient and you've still got the body. Because it's, it's just milliseconds of transient yeah. that's clipping. And I think it's good too to think about what your ears are actually doing yes if you pop a balloon your ears like are over compressing and kind of distorting naturally yeah 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 if you're like close to a popped balloon so mm-hmm. in a way like recording you're you're recording how that's happening so you can kind of replicate to people what that experience is actually like yeah yeah justifying clipped recordings there you go yeah so unless it sounds clipped and then it's bad if it sounds clipped, then it's bad. Unless you don't care about the part that sounds clipped. Yep. If you're like, that's not the part I want. What I want is the boom in the room. Yep. Or something. And you're just going to be cutting it out later. Then you can chill out. Yep. Um, and sometimes I swear, like, when the clipping is so short, it just doesn't sound like clipping as well. Yeah. Like I was recording my bicycle yesterday. Mm-hmm. And when the wheel is spinning, and when it's a, a bike with gears, and it goes... You know, yep. it's, it's ticking along. A lot of those ticks were, were clipping. Yeah. But when you play it back, it just doesn't sound like it. Right. As well. So I don't know if I'm supposed to get in trouble for that, but if I don't hear a clip, I don't really care. Yeah. Somebody, somebody's going to... Somebody will get mad at me. Yeah. Um, doing it wrong, Gord. Yeah, doing it wrong. And others might say that you should never clip and then you can take care of all your, your boosting with compression and everything afterwards. Yeah. Or, well, limiting... Raising the, raising the gain. Yeah. I think it's good to get both. Yeah. You know? Like, if you record what you think is proper gain, and if you're getting some clipping, also then record with lower gain so you're not getting clipping, and then you've got both. Yeah, and that's something a lot of production mixers do for film. Yeah. As well, as they'll have two channels running recording the same thing, but set right. to different gains. Yeah. So you have your, your kind of reserve channel. Yeah. Like, you've got what's what you think is right, and then, like, a 6 dB down. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So that's always a good... If you've got the way to do that, that's yeah. always a good, handy thing to do. And so for my birthday, I got a, a bass bow yeah. from, from Caitlin, the elephant gun of bows. Because <laughs> uh, I had a violin bow. Yep. And when you're bowing things that you're not supposed to be bowing, you often have to do it really hard. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, bottoming out and hitting the wood. Mm. So the bass bow, it's like, I could bow a, a, a tin roof. Yeah. Well, interesting. We'll have to, and we'll I have will. to come back to that and talk about it. Because I've got a violin bow and a cello bow. Yeah. And I've always found the violin bow more useful. Yeah? Yeah. I've, I've found the cello bow harder to work with. Hmm. So we'll have to see. We'll have to do some some bow experiments. I think it depends on what is being bowed. Probably. So I think it's good to have a large arsenal. Yeah. I was bowing (laughs) my bicycle spokes. (laughs) Sounded awesome. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Bows, it's always going to be scary. Yeah. Um, I was bowing this weird metal toolbox I have. Uh Uh-huh. And was getting some kind of whale sounds out of it, which was pretty sweet. Bow Very all low. the things. Bow all the things. And I was bowing the grate of my electric fan. <laughs> yeah. Which also sounded awesome. Everything sounds scary and intense when you bow it. Yeah. Or when I'm doing it with music, uh, if, if you want something to sound more exotic, just bow it. Yep. So take, take your mandolin, bow it. <laughs> take your banjo, bow it. Half the stuff in Viking Squad is just bowed guitar, bowed regular old string string instruments, fretted string instruments. Yeah, nice. I haven't bowed many proper instruments, actually. <laughs> Most of my bowing has been cymbals your, and... Your saw. My saw. Playing the saw. <laughs> Which I still can't actually play. I can make it make notes. Yeah. I can bend notes, but I can't, like, play a tune. 
Well, do people even really want to listen to that anyways? Sure. Yeah? Well, nobody I guess wants it's got to, a theremin thing going yeah, on. Yeah, nobody wants to hear, like, mid-level Bode. Bode saw. You know? <laughs> you, if you're going to play Musical the saw, saw, you need to be good or just, like, I'm making sound effects. If you're in between, that's when you're like, oh, nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody who can do it, you're like, yeah, check that out. Yeah. So that's that's my opinion of playing the saw. One thing that I would like to hear the opinion of from people, potentially... Who have yep. been bowing things is I'm getting I get these great sounds, but I still have the sound of the bow pretty presently in there. Yeah. Just the friction of the bow on the object. And I'm wondering if people have uh, strategies for minimizing that. Either from miking from the the backside of the object or from a resident cavity or yeah. or what. Um, I haven't I got to mastering these these sounds yet. Uh, very specifically doesn't yeah. seem to be too big of a problem and sometimes it's nice to have all that high frequency content yeah um, to, to play with later on could it be um, a rosin amount for that change well I, I often find you need tons of rosin just to get things to work yeah yeah especially when it's not supposed to be bowed it's something that's yeah <laughs> I'm just wondering if that makes a change I haven't I haven't played around like I just like you know, also like rosin the crap out of it and yeah. then like I'm probably making like violin players cry oh yeah I, yeah I don't know what an appropriate amount of rosin is yeah no idea I know that Caitlin buying the bow yeah had, had to answer some strange questions <laughs> she said I think the guy I... the guy was like so is he a beginner or uh, intermediate she's like well he's not actually going to be playing the bass with this at all yeah <laughs> So, when when he's asking what type of rosin yeah. do I want, I was like, I don't know, the most extreme. <laughs> I think, I, what, I what think can I, I was, play a street sign with. I think I was straight up when I went to get my first bow. I was just like, I'm not playing instruments. I'm a sound designer. I'm gonna bow cymbals and chunks of metal. So I just need a what's your cheapest violin bow? Because I'm gonna wreck it. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, I need that stuff, the, like the stuff you put on it. And they were like, rosin? I'm like, yeah, that. Yeah, the tree. the tree. What's the cheap one of that, too? Because <laughs> The tree sap. I w- so I was pretty much like, just give me the cheapest of everything because I'm going to wreck it. Yeah. Nothing fancy. Then they were into it because I was like, what are you doing? Like, I make sound effects for video. Oh. Because they, they don't get that, many weird people that doesn't in the, happen uh, too much, yeah. the orchestra section of the store. Yeah. So... I worked the orchestra section of Long and McQuaid when I lived in Victoria in university. Yeah. No idea what I was doing. <laughs> they just kept putting me there. Yeah. I was like, guys, I play guitar. I don't know any of this stuff. People would come in and they had like different conductor wands. Yeah. Of all different weights. And, and you were like, I stuff, don't know what this is. Which is pretty cool. It's like yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, Taking your wand. But I, it's like, you're not going to get any, any advice from me. <laughs> Like, yeah, this one won't cramp your hand as fast. Ah. <laughs> They're all really light. Yeah. And pretty. Anyways, that's probably it. Oh, wait, got some, we have questions. We have some questions. Okay. I'll answer because Matt's... Or I should not read Matt's, the questions and drive. driving, so I'll read them. Well, we have three questions from Topher. Three questions from to- Topher Perkle. Yeah. Who is a contributor at designingsound.org, right? Yes. Uh, okay. Question one. Question the first. You guys have rightly said that bad VO is worse than no VO. What advice would you offer to sound people who are in the position where they have to do VO on a strict budget or uh, with inexperienced uh, talent? One, do you really have to do VO? It's prob- I'm assuming this is the client's demand. Right, like uh, this is where I would approach yeah. the client and go, do you really have to do this? You don't have the budget to do this properly. Maybe this is a bad idea. This like still will probably hurt your game. Yeah. Well, th- the thing is, is that good voiceover artists are still cheaper than sort of. I don't know. Depends where your quality bar is. Yeah. But okay. For instance, I had a VO session the other day. We're totally not really answering your question. I'm just continuing to fight against it. But <laughs> we had a voiceover session the other day with a professional actress, uh, Jacqueline Samuda. She came in. We had a full page of dialogue. A full page. Yeah. And usually when we have this, when I have this much, we'll do a full read 
and then we'll take it paragraph by paragraph. Um, because if you do a full read, there's you're gonna stumble on a couple words. Yeah. Because you're only human, and she was not human. She did not stumble once. Yeah. And we did five full reads of the entire page. Yeah. And then she left. We were done in like 15 minutes. Yeah. It's and yes, it cost money, but it's unbelievable. How do you value your time? Like they're yeah. paying you money. They're paying like your developers are gonna have to be there yeah. as well. And if you're using very inexperienced talent, then you, you could have been, we would have been there for two hours and we would have come out with something worse. Yeah. As well. So that would have been two hours of my time, two hours of developer time, uh, two hours of this actor's time who were probably still paying something. Yeah. And um, it's, and a worse product. Yeah. So I, I, I do say keep on fighting the good fight for professional voiceover. Yeah. However, there are strategies to get people to act better that aren't great actors. Yeah, I think a lot of it is what if you don't have money, um, find time. You have to invest in time. And I think yeah. ba- yet again, Bastion is a really good example of that. They, you know, they had time. The reason that they're, you know, he had a great voice, but they had all the time in the world and he talks and he's talked Darren has talked about right how much time they had to record stuff and they just kept recording and recording and recording and recording until it was good and right and amazing right right so if you don't have money you have to invest time and it's just going to take you more time to find the like right performances and i can that. only assume for bastion it was probably tons of recording finally found the voice going back and redoing everything before that point so be willing to throw lots out and spend a lot of time finding those right lines you know and and fight to chop stuff that you know sounds bad and maybe it's a matter of doing it and putting it in the game and then going see this is bad yeah yeah totally like, well, that's how we've prototyped speech on a lot of games. Not in the bad sense, but, you know, I'm always the one of the guards for our games. Have guards. Um, and it's because we can... I'm right there, and it's real quick for me to record and prototype stuff, and we can try out, like, hey, here's a bunch of new events. Like, let's record them and put them in and go, are these working? Yeah. Do they need to talk about these things? You know? And they go, oh, okay, yes or no, and just make calls and then write more dialogue that, that fits in those occasions. Yeah, and they, and that can all fall into writing as well, too, because, I mean, yeah, a lot of the time people don't talk that much, especially when they're by themselves. A uh, lot of dialogue isn't that necessary. Biggest tip to give to writers, have them read their own dialogue. Ah. Right? I always tell everybody who's writing stuff, say it out loud. The way it looks on a page and the way it sounds in your head may sound cool, but as soon as you say it, you're like, oh, no one would actually say this. Yeah. yeah and it's it's totally. it's different when the words are like living in the room with you. Yeah. So that sort of answers some of your question. Um question. I think sometimes you can trick people into being better as well. Yeah. If you get a really good feel going on in the room, if you're having a really good time, yeah. if you can really loosen people up, then yep. then they'll surprise you from from time to time. Yeah. Which is which just feeds back into the having time over money thing. Yeah, if I've got amateurs, um, which we use some people in the office, mm-hmm. um, I want somebody who wants to be there. Yes. If you want to be there, I can take the time and I can probably get something usable yeah. out of you. Like taking the time, making them comfortable, like because you want to do it. it. It's the people if you're like, hey, I'm going to force you to be a zombie, and you're like, really, I don't want to be a zombie, and then you're like, well, this is going to suck. Yeah. And also, the like, amateurs have to get comfortable in front of the mic as well. Yeah. As soon as, like, you put somebody in front of a microphone, no matter how goofy and, and like, without barriers they were before, yeah. a lot of people will kind of clam up. Yeah, totally. And it becomes very difficult to improvise. And so you have to spend a lot of time with them, yeah. getting them comfortable in that environment. Anyways. We had... Um, one of the, the other uh, guys at the studio, Joe, he really wanted to do some voice acting stuff. Yeah. And he was like, took me aside one day, he's like, no, really, I'm serious. Like, 
can, if you can use me, I, I want to do some stuff. And I was like, awesome. Like, you're eager. You're like, this is great. You want to do this. Mm. I'll totally use you. So we, you know, okay, we'll make you a guard in Invisible. And we recorded a bunch of stuff. And his first, it was his first time in the studio. And he was super nervous. But we just took the time, you know, made him comfortable. And that first session, we probably threw out about half of it. Second session we did, we were like, okay, Joe, we're going to, you know, we're not, like, I was like, I'm not going to placate you. I'm not going to just tell you you're good. If it's good, we're going to use it. If it's not, we won't. And he was like, awesome. Like, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to give it to you straight. So first session, we threw out about half of it. Second session, I'm like, all right, we've got some new lines. we got to pick up the old stuff. We're going to do it all again. He was like 50% better yeah. the second time. And it was just getting him comfortable in front of a mic. Yeah. You know, that's that's what it was. And if, like, next time I use him, he's going to be even better because yep. he's just more and more comfortable being in that position. So, yeah, time. Time, time, time and time. multiple sessions and making it fun and easy. Yeah. So, All right. question the second. Question two. Uh, what qualities or talents do you think set apart the best sound designers in the field? What makes great game sound designers stand out in your mind? Um, passion? Yeah. Just passion and interest. Like, the reason, like, I think the reason I get to, the reason I'm working, yep. I don't, I, I, not that I'm calling myself, like, a standout sound designer, is because I'm, I'm going down to DigiPen with Matt. Yep. I, like, I didn't stop learning after school. Yep. Um, and run these meetups I'm just always trying I'm immersed yeah and I made it and I made a conscious effort to do that I realized how competitive the field I was getting into was going to be yeah and decided to really immerse myself not only in the in the like the science and the techniques but uh, the community as well yeah and one may or may not be more important than the other probably depends on who you are um, also, but taste is a really big thing as well. And just knowing when something sounds good, no matter what it was recorded on, um, no matter what the source of the sound is, yeah. you just have to know what is good and yeah. what, is, what, like, what works for this thing. Yeah. And I don't know how to teach that necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, knowing what is right for a game. Yeah. Which changes in every single game is a hard thing to to convey to somebody. Yeah. Why why one thing is right for one game would, would be totally wrong for another. Yeah. Um, I would agree with all of the points that you've said, and I would also add knowing your craft. Yeah. And and not just knowing all the sound stuff, knowing what's going on in games. I I, I always kind of like amazed when I talk to people in the games industry who don't play games. Yeah. I talk to a lot of sound designers who don't play games. And I'm like, you, how do you know what's going on? How do you know what... How what... do you know if you are good compared to other games? Yeah. If you're not playing other games. If you don't have someone to look up to. Yeah. Like, I'm constantly playing games and being like, I want to be able to do this. Yeah, I'm constantly playing games and I'm like, I just want to play this game. And halfway through, I'm like, I'm just trying to figure out what they did and how I can do that now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I go to, like, when we go to GDC, I go to, like, just about every talk, and I walk away with a handful of things. I'm like, these are ideas that other people talked about that I'm going to totally put into my games. Mm -hmm. I have no shame about, you know, taking ideas that other people have presented and run with them. Yeah. You know, I think that's a a sign of a good game sound designer, too. It's, It's just not being worried about that everything has to come from you. Like, yeah. You know, if there's good ideas that are out there, like there's nothing wrong with running with those and seeing how they fit into your world. Yeah. Um, and have a good library. Yep. Do lots of recording. And don't be afraid to record. I think even if you've got crappy gear, yeah. the more recording you do, the better you're going to be, the better you, you understand your recordings, the better you understand your equipment. And the better you understand even stuff in your library that other people have done. Yeah. 
you know, it all it all adds to that just knowing your craft of, of everything. Yeah, because if you can squeeze good recordings out of an H4, imagine what you can do once you get the sound devices. Yeah. All right, the bonus esoteric question. Um, as you've said before, a lot of modern audio software is built on paradigms defined by analog hardware, like the idea of the channel strip. Do you think this limits the capabilities of the tools we have available? And are there any software tools that have moved away from an analog model in interesting or powerful ways? For me, never really having worked with analog tools, it's kind of tricky because yep. most of the things that I've worked with are uh, analog simulations. Yeah, you've never that used have the already real one. been tweaked a little bit. Yeah, like I've never had, I've never used an 1176. I've never used a lot of this analog gear. Yeah, I've used some analog synthesis stuff. Um, but that's very minimal in the world of simulation in a software environment. Yeah. So Matt might have more on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm coming from the, like, I, I grew up with all that, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked in an analog recording studio. I, I've used the actual API boards and Neve boards and 1176s and LA2As. And I've used all that stuff. I'm familiar with it, and it's comfortable to me. Right. So, I'm in, I'm in, I'm one of those people that it's like I still like. Well, I said that that you should. There's, we're possibly too married to it. I'm one of the people that's still really comfortable with that. Right. Um, I don't know what has like gotten really away from that. The a lot of modern EQs with visual representation of frequency spectrums. Yeah. Like, that's... You can't do that on an analog piece of gear. No. So, those are cool. Um, I feel like DAWs... DAWs like Ableton and Bitwig. Yeah. Bit, Bitwig. Bit, Bitwig. Yeah, they're definitely a different they, paradigm. They, they, they've abandoned... Not completely... Like, there's still signal flow. There's always going to be signal flow. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're making no effort to look anything like... No, the hardware. Live was like I think the first for me the big one that like went that direction. Yeah, and did it well. And like I still don't understand live, but I get that people do, and it's really powerful once you do get it. Yeah, so it's just you have all the knobs, you have all the parameters, but it's not it's not put on anything that looks like a piece of gear. Yeah, um, um, I think the move to to middleware to be more DAW-like is not necessarily a great idea. The great idea. I want yeah. my middleware to be middleware, not to be my DAW. Yeah. So. I mean, it it does feel intuitive. Like I've been working a lot with FMOD Studio. Yep. And like it feels intuitive, but it also feels like a almost a step back. Like I I feel like I should be doing I should be working more efficiently. Yeah, um, I feel I almost feel like I prefer a slightly larger learning curve mm-hmm. to have a more efficient workflow. Yeah, um, which is basically what Wise is, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I still like the old EA tool that had a pure data paradigm. Yeah, it was like connecting boxes with wires. Right. You know, lets you do math. Yeah, that was really cool. I miss being able to do math in my events so yeah I don't know who uh, the, the, there's a few examples but it's not like I don't think anybody's truly like run away from the analog paradigms we've got and some some things probably are just best expressed in that way maybe you don't need to like model it and make it look like you know uh, some vintage compressor mm-hmm. but you know when you're doing a compressor you've got your gain, your attack, your release, your makeup gain, like yeah. your threshold, you need a meter to see gain reduction. Kind of all that stuff, you know, those are, those are the things you need. So you need some yeah. sort of analog-like version of it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that yet. Uh, Somebody point me to some stuff. That's, yeah, let's see what people have to say. Yeah. Tweet at us. All right. That should be... Uh, round one and we'll uh, pick it up after the symposium. See ya. And we're back. Hello. So, round two. Round two, hours later, one uh, symposium, no, number three symposium behind us. 
third symposium down. Yeah. It was a good one. It was it was excellent. Yeah, it was, it was really good. the best one yet, according to me. There you go. Um, I felt a little, most of the talks were like GDC level. Yeah, a couple of them were even better than most of the talks I saw at GDC. <laughs> and the obviously the GDC talks are, talks are really really good, but a couple of the talks were phenomenal and free and free. It's kind of it costs zero money. It's kind of ridiculous that yeah. you can just go to this thing for free. There yeah. should more people should come to this. Yeah, if you're in Vancouver and you don't go to the Digipan Audio Symposium next year, you're dumb. And if yep. you're in Seattle and you don't go to the Digipan Audio Symposium, you're really dumb. You're you're really dumb because uh, that was a free, amazing, amazing yeah. audio clinic, and it wasn't all entry level stuff. It was no. pretty advanced. But with entry level stuff as well, and it was just rad. Yeah. Okay. So, so rundown. Rundown of the speakers. First speaker was uh, Lance Hayes. Awesome. He did a uh, like kind of his how he got into the industry and yeah. how you can get into the industry sort of talk. I was just rapidly nodding my head the whole time. <laughs> so it wasn't like I was learning a bunch of new stuff, but yeah. it was very reaffirming. And uh, and it was a great talk. He had a lot of great quotes. Yep. From people, kind of um, their advice about the industry. Yeah. That was really great, and lots of like, yes, that is that is a thing that is great to, that you should know. Yeah, one of the big ones I thought that I think more people should be aware of is that he went through sort of his cycle of all the shitty jobs he's had. Yeah. To support his music career. Yeah. And I I talked to a lot of, like, VFS grads and and people that just graduate, and they're like, I want to hop straight into full-time. Yeah. Straight into full-time audio. This is what I want to do. And that is very much not the case most of the time. Well, that's, it's, that's the dream. Yeah. And that's what you should be shooting for. But the reality of that's probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. And you should probably you... be braced with a like backup plan of yeah. When that doesn't happen, how are you going to keep at being able to like reach your goal of a full time supporting audio position? Yeah. And exactly. in some cases, that takes doing a bunch of like junky stuff. Yes. You know, like back when I was freelance, I, I did booth building in when things were slow. Right. Because it was like, well, here's a temporary job that I can do while it doesn't get in the way of any audio work that's going to come my way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I got bills to pay. So yep. did what what I needed to do. Well, and I think, so I, I'm the odd one out where I did finish school and hopped straight into audio full-time. Yeah. Um, but not in a full-time position, just freelancing full-time. Yeah. I was still broke. Um, <laughs> I, I had the luxury of having uh, my fiancé who was working as well to help support me and we kind of bounce back and forth yeah uh, being the breadwinner right um, when she didn't great. have work I had work and yeah. it, we just kind of lucked out I mean we still went into debt yeah um, but we did manage to make it work but I'm also 31 years old I started working professionally in audio when I was like 28 yeah 27, 28 that's not an early start I had you know I had over 10 years of working experience behind me yeah and so it's not just audio work it's yeah. work work and when you are when you're graduating from Vancouver Film School or AI or wherever you're going from like DigiPen yeah it's or Full Sail or wherever and, it is and you're 21 years old and yeah. you haven't worked before there are more things at play to whether or not you're going to be working full time at a company yeah than just if you're awesome at sound or not. Yeah. Because there are all these factors of accountability, of factors of punctuality. Um, accountability is a big one. That took me, I think, a long time to grow into. Yeah. I remember my first really accountable work moment mm -hmm. when I was probably 24 or 25. I had a job at a woodworking shop. And first of all, my first day, I rear-ended another car <laughs> on my way to work. And had to call and be like, I got in a car accident. I yep. might be late. <laughs> um, then within the first week, I knocked over a jointer. Oh, God. And it was a brand new jointer. It was an $800 tool. Yeah. And I remember, like, having this moment in my head being like, do I just leave? <laughs> 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 Should I just go? Yeah. But instead, I 
waltzed up to the boss's office. I told him exactly what happened, and I worked there for like three years. Yeah, you know, and th- that's showing was, your character early on. Yeah, I was. I worked a summer job at a stained glass shop that made stained glass inserts and stained glass windows, and mm-hmm. I broke so much glass. I was always like, "I'm still here." You're still yeah. keeping me? But I was always like, um, I'm sorry, but I broke this again. Yeah, didn't didn't you nail your fingers together or something at some point? Oh, no, that was another job. Oh, okay. That was the first day on the job uh, for the company my dad worked for, right. construction company. I put a nail through my finger on the first day on the job. <laughs> uh, anyway, at so... At the stained glass shop, I um, tried to tar my fingers together. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So Anyway, so but, well, the, the point we're making is that you probably... Like you have to have work experience, not yeah. just audio work experience, or that is that like that's a valued quality. All your and work you're probably going to have to work some crappy jobs to get yeah. that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that doesn't mean no. that you're not going to get in there, get there in the end. No, it's just you have to be very patient. Yeah. And I know that the reason I was able to get working as fast as I did is because I have all this weird work experience behind me. Yeah. And and Lance was saying the same stuff. He's applying all these things he learned. Uh, yeah. at his restaurant jobs at his hospital job moving dead bodies <laughs> somehow has applied that to working in sound yeah. composition um, so anyways that was a great yeah, talk it was really Lance, good. we're going to try to get him up to Vancouver uh, to do something yeah that um, would be awesome and then after after Lance was potentially the one I was most excited about yep. I know not as much up your alley because you don't have this gigantic raging hard on nerd thing going for uh, binaural audio yeah so the next speaker was Edgar Churi Churi don't ask me I'm horrible with names uh, he's a doctor Churi Um, and it it was mind blowing it was really cool it was really interesting he was talking about 3D audio like fully positional 3D audio he kind of he kind of prepositioned it of like this is going to be the future. The future is going to be you in a car listening to one thing while the person in the seat next to you in a car is listening to a completely different thing in a completely spatialized 3D environment. But why can't I do that with headphones, Matt? He had a bunch of reasons why you can't do that okay. with headphones. And so, so he said, this is, what, this is the dream. And he's like, I think we're way closer than you think we are to that dream. Here is the problems that we currently have to solve to get to that. And here is how I have solved all of them, basically. Yeah. Yeah. He's basically like, half of it, he already has working in commercial products. Yes. The other half, he's solved in the lab, in his his acoustics lab. Because he... Oh, 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 right. Oh, what? He happens to be a rocket scientist. Oh, yeah. For his main job. His day job is a rocket scientist. His side job is revolutionizing the audio... Yeah. Delivery system f- for the entire world. So so half of it he has solved and is in shipping like a patent that is shipping in products. And the other half is something that they fixed in the lab and they're working on how they can yeah, so he invented, deliver that. He invented this device called the Jambox, which I think no, you no, can no, get. He did, he did, somebody else invented the Jambox. Okay. They, but they licensed his, licensed his, his, patent. I, his patent for the Jambox. Yeah, that yeah. does this 3D spatialization yeah, so it's three D. So it's three D, cool. not with headphones. It's a speaker. You hold it in front of your face, and yeah. it's and it's like an audio hologram. You hear things so accurately spatialized, just coming from this speaker, that yeah. you feel like there's there's an there, there's an object. You should just be able to reach out and grab, thirty seven degrees to your right. Yeah, it's it's insane. And the processing, you can turn it on and off. Yeah. So you could like turn it off and be like, okay, I'm listening to a speaker, and then you turn it on, and you're like. Now there's a man singing next to me. Yeah. Oh, I turned it off. He's just he's in the speaker again. It was cool. It is that weird. I I I've seen Jambox stuff and kind of had written it off. Yeah. Um, I hadn't really looked into this spatialization thing, but it's really cool. Yeah. Like and so, how it works is like a really it's like phase cancellation to the max. Yeah. Where they're basically sending beams of audio, you're just using phase canceling once and then phase canceling again, directing phase cancellation so that what your right ear is hearing is completely different from your left ear. 
And they, he said they only have to do the cancellations about 100 times. Only 100 times. Per sound. Like, per <laughs> sample, they do it 100 times, and then you can't hear it anymore. Yeah. So, like, they're sending, like, just this math. The, the math is, like, crazy. Yeah. That's going on. So it's constantly figuring out, I have to send out this wave to cancel in the left ear what's going to the right ear. And now, again, I have to then cancel that information in the right ear again. And then I have to cancel it again in the left ear it, at slightly different lo- lower volume. And it just keeps going. He's like, yeah, at about 100 times doing this, then it's too too quiet that you don't have to worry about it anymore. Worry about it anymore. Yeah. And we do that in every whatever sample. Yeah. So the things he was taking account of, are, which I probably don't won't remember all of them, yeah. um, were fidelity, uh, which was an easy one, I think. Uh, which, well, I'm not going to remember any of them, actually. Which he said the biggest thing that um, his lab has done yeah. is saw, like, they've been doing this phase-canceling thing for 30 years or something. Yes. But it always, you can hear it. Yeah. They have managed to produce it at a, like, zero scale. Mm-hmm. Like, it's even across all frequencies. You can't hear that it's going on. Yeah. That's their big breakthrough. And so the, the next big place they're going with it is where... You need to be with the jam box. You have to hold it at the right spot, and you can't move around. Yeah. He's already made one that actually tracks where your head is so that yeah. you can move your head around, and the sound stays perfectly situated in the space designed by them. Now, this, when this was something I had, which doesn't relate perfectly to game audio, is that the system he has in play right now contains an extra step, which makes it so the sound is localized in a very specific place, and that place cannot be moved. Yeah. Um, but that's easy to remove and replace with, like, a, a game engine, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. And then they're working on taking a picture of your head and producing a personalized... HRTF. HRTF map of it that then encodes binaural audio for your head. Just for your head. Yeah, and I don't see that being as too far off because they've already got apps where you can yeah. take a few pictures of your head and do a three D print of yourself. He was kind of saying five years. Yeah, he thinks in five years all of these things will actually be like fully solved. In the people in will the be real composing world. specifically for this yeah. type of it's thing. It's pretty cool. It, was, it didn't. It was really yeah, neat. it didn't seem uh, unrealistic. It was. It was not. A it was not futurology. Direct uh, game audio thing. No, but it was really cool. To hear and it was an see all where, audio thing. where yeah. things are going in that regard. It's really, so it'd cool. be, it's really interesting to consider, like, if people are going to start doing music this way, yep. how's that going to affect the traditional mixing strategy? Yeah, where we're where we're trying to fit all these sounds into this uh, stereo space. Yeah, um, is it going to make it way easier? I think uh, I because think people so. are going to be exploring music in a different way. Well, I've done some, I've done some music mixing. Um, in 5.1. Yeah. And 5.1 actually solves a lot of problems. Um, if you're dealing with, with a, like, a music full bandwidth on all speakers yeah. sort of situation, right? Yeah. Um, usually you have to, you know, on a stereo spread, you have to EQ a lot of things to fit together. Mm-hmm. And when you start spreading the instruments out, you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. I did a, a jazz, I assisted on a jazz album that was for the Super Audio CD format. That you know that was a thing, <laughs> um, and it has. He's just making that up. No, I'm not. It's a thing. <laughs> Look it up. Uh, and the format contained 5.1 mixes and stereo mixes. Cool. So we had to do both. Yeah. And basically, the engineer did a stereo mix, and then you know printed that, and then opened up all the speakers, panned everything around where he wanted it, mm-hmm. and then was like, oh, I can take that EQ off, and I can take that EQ off, and I let. Like, well, there was, like, way, hardly any EQ on the 5.1 mix because yeah. nothing was stepping on anything. Right, 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 right. So I think it'll be, I think, I think where it will go is people will still produce these, like, stereo mixes, and that'll be, like, your starting point. Right. Like, this is the, like, envisioned ideal sitting position mix. Yeah. And then you can start moving around the environment. Yeah. You know, if you want. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, okay. So that was cool. And then uh, Marty talks. Yeah. Marty O'Donnell. Marty O'Donnell. Who's like 
Like, here's why, like, if you don't go to this, you're just being a silly yeah. person. You got to see Marty O'Donnell doing Marty a talk. O'Donnell doing a talk for free at DigiPen. Composer yeah. for all Halo. Yeah. You might you may have you may have heard of some of the things he did. Yeah. yeah. You know, like De- Destiny. Or, or Halo, maybe. <laughs> little, little, little games. He's just done little, some little games. Couple little games. Yeah. Um, he was cool. He did another kind of like where he came from and where he went to. Yeah. Kind of career retrospective, and then uh, the ear doesn't blink. Yeah. So he was his actual actual talk. talk talk. Yeah. So he did kind of his history, which was really cool. I didn't know like that he did so many ads and stuff in mm-hmm. the beginning. His whole. So that was cool to see where he's come from, where he's gotten to, and and then he did this. Your the ear doesn't blink, which is kind of this concept of your eyes blink, yeah, and you get like a relief from some Refresher visual period. stimulation, yeah, um, and the yeah the idea that our brain uses it to knock out information it doesn't and want, and our brain is used to that, yeah. Whereas, and I'm fully behind this. Yeah. Whereas in a game, if you have if you have points where all the sound drops out that's a bad thing and that shouldn't happen it's unnatural our ears don't like it it takes us out of the moment yeah um, that was pretty much the too long did not read yeah yeah that's the, it was good it was a really good talk and it was it was interesting he also went into something that was like really relevant for me because I'm going to go do it tomorrow because yep. I need to do it for a Smarter Everyday video coming up um, which is the McGurk principle yep. which is a great name for starters <laughs> Um, which is basically like <laughs> the TLDR of this is you could just write two things in the same key, more or less, yeah, and play them together, starting each each one at random points, and as long and they can just fit. Your no, bro- that was a di- that's a different thing. That was the McGurk. No, the McGurk effect is uh, distilled well, you're, you're, down to the ba ba. If you see a video of somebody saying ba, yeah. It can switch to him saying fa, yeah. and your brain will not hear the F. It will continue to hear ba. Right. But if you close your eyes... Oh, that's the visual see. tie. Yeah, there's okay. a visual thing. But he showed this really cool thing that's related to that. Right. Um, if you play two pieces of music that are in the same key... Our brain wants them to work together. They can together. have different tempos. They can have different rhythms. You just play them on top of each other randomly, and our brain will, like, find something cohesive about it to make us go, oh, that should go together. Yeah, that works. Yeah. And and we tested it out a bunch of times. And, yeah, he and, did. And Marty was just like, this is, a, it's actually too easy. <laughs> and, like, you want people to think you're doing something big, fancy yeah. and that you've planned it that way, but that's just taking advantage of one of our brain's uh, I don't know if it's a fallibility or not, but yeah. it's a thing our brain does. Yeah, so it's cool, and it's totally relevant to doing interactive music and layering interactive music. Yeah. Like, it was really cool. Yeah, cool. he was a great talk. Then there was lunch. Then there was a live audio thing that wasn't really relevant to indie yeah. game audio, so we we're going to skip it Yeah. Um, for the podcast. And It then, was about the advances in live audio technology yeah some of the some some of the stuff there's some some similar phase cancellation stuff yeah uh to the binaural thing but to do with the live setting some interesting uh a lot of live audio is going to networked gear yeah which is kind of cool yeah um and then there was a talk about uh interactive music interactive live Improving computer generated computer assisted music. I can't remember his exact title. Yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, it was interesting. It was a, a DigiPen instructor whose name I can't remember because I'm a horrible person. Uh, who is using pure, pure data and Max MSB to create these interactive patches that are performable. Yeah, yeah. That he has that it's, he compo- he plays in conjunction with a performer. Yeah. Um, in this case, a clarinet player. Um, and he was getting a feed of what they were doing, and then he could manipulate it and like feed it back to them. And yeah. So it was like this this cool improv thing where they were like working together to yeah. create these pieces. So that was the academic one, like we were saying in the morning. Yeah. There's and that's what it's nice about these DigiPen things. They get such a wide array of uh, of applicable talks. Yeah. For the like most the music part. one was again not really a, a 
relevant game audio thing, but it was about Max and Pure Data, which is which totally is relevant. Yeah, totally. So it's one of those things of like, it's always interesting to see uh, what people in other areas are doing with the tools that you may use. Yeah. Because there's always something that they're doing that you can then take and apply to your area. Yeah. So so it was cool. Yeah, it's neat. He's doing cool stuff. Yeah. So, yes, really good. Thank you for DigiPen for putting it on. Yes. Three years in a row, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and just getting better. So. So. Uh, other piece of news. Um, hopefully I'm going to get this out in time. But on the 15th of this month, May 15th, I'm going to be in the Netherlands at Indie Development doing a talk. So if you listen to this and you're in Europe, you should come see me. Yeah. And all the other great people that are talking at it. I'm going to be talking about Mark of the Ninja. Mm-hmm. And mostly our cool obstruction occlusion system that we made up for 2D. Which we're going to try to make commonplace, right? Yeah. That's why I want to tell people about it, because it's cool and I want more people to do it. Yeah. Like, this is like... It feels like this is this thing I invented, and I like maybe somebody else is doing it. Feel free to shoot me down. Yeah, I don't want to be like I'm so awesome. I invented this thing. I'm like, I seem to have figured out this thing. Why aren't more people doing this? Everyone should do this. Yeah, yeah. It's a system that if you've got like a 2D Metroidvania kind of system, you should be doing your audio this way and making this fake occlusion system because it works and it's cool and it's not that hard. Yeah, totally. And when I describe it, it sounds like, oh, that's, of course, that's really easy. Yeah, real easy. We already ha- we're already doing all that, basically. We just yeah. have to hook a couple things up. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably doing most of the stuff you already need to do. You just need to hook it up in a certain way to the audio system. So yeah. come, come to the Netherlands and see me talk about that. Cool. I, I think I have an announcement. Yes. Depending on, like, whether this goes up in two days or three days. Okay. If we can push oh, it to three days, that would be great. Or two days? I don't know. Friday. What's your announcement? Uh, Oaklos just went on pre-sale. Yeah. Which is a game I've been working on for over a year. Sweet. Um, um, that I'm doing the, all the sound on music, and music for. So you should pick that up. So uh, go check that out. Uh, o- not, O-K-H-L-O-S. So what date? Uh, four days from yesterday. Yesterday was the 8th. So that would be the 13th. 13th? Four, no, 12th. Oh. I think it'd be on, it's the same day as Invisible Ink, which is and also coming out, which you should spend all your money so on, So, on the 12th, you should just go on go Steam to, and pre-order Oculus and buy, buy our, Invisible Ink. Buy our games. Buy our games. Because yeah. they sound awesome. Yeah. Um, so, we did some shilling. I think Sh- we can... Shilling done. Shilling done. Uh, we had a great, great visit to DigiPen. It's always fun coming down to Seattle. Hopefully, we can get the car podcast cleaned up so that you can understand us. Yep. I'm taking a crack at it this time. Yeah. And we'll uh, catch you next time. Bye.